0: If you're looking for a show about everyday black dreamers and doers, you've come to the right place. Join me on a quest to find ordinary people doing extraordinary things, reinterpreting the rules of the game in order to achieve life on their own terms. I'm your host, Moses Tillman Young, and welcome to the Black Gold Podcast. Welcome to this episode of Black Gold Podcast. Today with me, I have Dr. Olu Shabazz. He is an esteemed minister, renowned speaker, respected leader in the field of ministry excellence, and he has a passion for guiding church leaders and equipping believers for impactful service. He recently published a book entitled Excellence in Ministry and his goal is to help church leaders in the secular world better understand the systems that are necessary to have maximum impact so dr shabazz thank you so much for coming on to the black hole podcast
1: thank you thank you i appreciate it i've been looking forward with great anticipation to our meeting
0: absolutely and shout out to angela for putting us together
1: Absolutely. Well.
0: Absolutely. So Dr. Shabazz, your book, uh, Excellence in Ministry, what caused you to want to write about ministry in, in a way that I, oh, I, I have to say, I haven't really seen it in that way bef- in before, especially with the, the title. Can you explain your reason behind you titled it Excellence in Ministry?
1: Absolutely. Let me begin by saying uh, the book Excellence in Ministry is really the byproduct of about 42 years ministerial experience at the local church level, the national and international level. In addition to that, for many uh, years, a passion of mine has been mentoring younger guys coming along in the ministry. I've had the distinct privilege of directly training about 18 different men who at this point in time are somewhere in the United States serving in ministry ranging from Christian education all the way to what we would call being someone's local minister or uh, someone's local preacher. I've always had a passion for passing on those hard knocks that I've come across, those experiences where I scraped my knees on the proverbial sidewalk of life, And then I learned in the mentoring experience that there really are a large number of men and women out there that desire mentoring. They are like proverbial sponges. They're soaking up as much information as they feel will help them to be most productive. In that journey, excellence has always been my emphasis, not barely doing enough to get by but excelling to the extent or to the point where you go above and beyond in order to achieve. I deduce that from what I call the excellence paradigm. And the excellence paradigm uh, suggests that the creator of the heavens, the universe, is one of excellence. And when you read the Holy Bible, it's easy to see. That everything the Creator does, He does with supreme excellence, inclusive of many areas where questions arise to which we may never have the answer in this world or in this life. But as I observed Him, number one, He is the quintessential example of excellence. He does everything superbly. And then the notion that He desires to be imitated, He desires to be duplicated. And so, All that we do in life, we do with the motivation and the drive of accomplishing it with excellence. I love that wow moment. Never heard it said like, never seen it done in that way or to that extent. And it leaves a lasting impression upon people when you uh, employ that drive to accomplish with excellence.
0: Yeah, and it really, whenever you, really pick it apart in that way you're right it seems like everything like on this earth in the world within the cosmos it is put together in such a way that everything has its function its time and place it has a purpose to it yes and the thing about excellence too is that it's not just something that is done but it is also a journey into unto itself and yes. so it's us trying to, elect that again, like you said, he desires to be duplicated, replicated, imitated. And yes. so it's us trying to figure out how we can, in our own way, imitate Christ.
1: Absolutely. So that's been my undergirding motivation, just a feeble attempt to help men and women. And I'm in the process of writing a second book that I call The, uh, the Excellence Paradigm, just to help people understand that where is your faith base, is your foundation? Excellence is a principle that pours over into conceivably every facet of life. Whether it is your finances, your health, job, your career, whatever it is, you wanna go after it with excellence. You wanna achieve with excellence. And so for me, Moses, this was more than a book. I called it the launch of an excellence movement. Because I believe, I really believe we need to get back to the notion of achieving with excellence across the board.
0: Absolutely. And so you said that this book was a culmination of your 42 years in ministry. How did you go about getting started in ministry? Where did your journey begin?
1: So back in the late 70s, at that time, I was working for General Motors Corporation truck and bus in my hometown. And I was raised in Islam. My father was a very devout Muslim. And so when you're a child, a young man, you are what your parents are, but you don't have much to say so. So was well indoctrinated in Islam. While working there at General Motors, I met a young man that was a New Testament Christian. And he started probing and challenging me to do a comparison of the Quran and the Holy Bible. And so I've always been prone, I love to study to dig, to research. And so I began this journey of studying and researching. Long story short, uh, in the late 70s, I converted from uh, Islam to Christianity under the guidance and the influence of really what became like my first mentor. At that time, uh, I decided that the call of service was over my life, the call of ministry. So I took an educational lead I didn't quit my job, but I took an educational leave from General Motors Corporation. I thought that I needed to get away from my hometown, the familiar surroundings, all the people I grew up with that knew me and I knew them. And so I went to Memphis, Tennessee to work on uh, my first bachelor's of arts in biblical studies. And that's where I started my ministerial uh, training. That's where the journey for better knowledge of the Bible and related subjects began. in in Memphis, Tennessee. About the time I got to my third year, there was a church in town that was looking for a minister. And while still in school, I started ministering uh, to that church. That was my first ministry and finished my bachelor's in biblical studies and uh, preaching at the same time. And uh, just loved the experience. It was an opportunity for boots on ground. Sitting in a classroom, reading a book, and information is one thing, but putting your boots on the ground and getting in the trenches and actually doing the work where you have to actually interface with people and all the challenges that come with it, it's an entirely different world. So that's pretty much where my journey started out and by God's mercy, I haven't looked back, which I've just kept going and growing. Listen, Moses, I am a student forever. I never stopped learning never stop growing. I believe you can learn something from a drunkard if you're willing to listen and, and find the, what is the takeaway. You, you, so yeah, that's how I navigate my life. I learn and pass on to others the constructive things I feel like I've learned.
0: It sounds like you really went after this fervently in terms of wanting to understand about, about who God is, about uh, what he's done for for you and for the world. And so it seems like you've really like went after that with passion in terms of, as you said, went to school, you studied for it, and and you went into ministry and got the experience of working with people. What was some of the experiences that, or do you have even like one experience you'd say that really stuck out with you in terms of affirming uh, your calling in ministry?
1: You know what? I hate to use this term. It might not go over well. But it's like God was working with my life and everything my hand touched turned to gold. Number one, it's a blessing to do something you enjoy. Many people work and they don't at all like what they do at work. My experience is just the opposite. But then the eyes of my understanding was really opened very early on. And I want to share with you how. I went to a school that literally walked you through hermeneutics, biblical interpretations, understanding of the scriptures from Genesis all the way to Revelation, related subjects, classical Koine Greek, early uh, Hebrew to understand the original languages, and Bible geography, and all of that kind of stuff. But I mentioned to you that before I graduated, I ended up ministering in my first work, and all of a sudden, it hit me like a ton of bricks. I had all of this Bible information. But I didn't realize that in another context the church is a business and I knew nothing about the business of the church. I I could walk you through the bible but when it came to the fundamental workings of the business of the church and then I I saw and learned that the church wears two hats a spiritual hat and a civil hat and that spiritual hat has to do with the teaching the preaching the indoctrination and so forth that come from the scriptures but then how do you run a not-for-profit entity with a board of directors. And on the other side, you have the spiritual leadership of the church. How do you deal with the matters of keeping the church out of liability and the annual audits that are needed in order to show credibility uh, to the parishioners about the intake and expenditures of monies? and, And it hit me. I knew nothing about any of that. So being a student, I dug in, and I took every class, every course, I talked to everybody I could think to talk to about fundamental business administration, but specifically in the context of the local church. And it opened up a whole new world for me. My second love to preaching and teaching is church administration. I love it. And I love it for a myriad of reasons. But while this is a spiritual living organism, the church, it isn't another sense, albeit a spiritual business, nonetheless a business. and If you don't know what you're doing, you can make a real mess out of ministry.
0: Yeah. In terms of what you said, that element, knowing about the business side of church, it, it was necessary in terms of the growth of you as a minister, the growth of your church group, and so having both of those different aspects of the church, both the biblical histories, as you said, the interpretation, hermeneutics having that alongside the business aspect as well, and merging those two together in order to form something that will last beyond yourself and also last beyond the current congregation that inhabits the church. And so in terms of coming up with your paradigm of excellence, how do you develop excellence within leaders?
1: So I began with learning how to take biblical examples and biblical teachings and convert them into a practical application. Let me give you an example. In the scriptures, Moses, who in the old covenant stood in the breach between God and Israel, there was a season in his life where Moses was trying to do it all. And then his father-in-law, he was married to Zipporah. her father, Jethro, comes to Moses and said, Moses, what are you doing? I've watched you and you sit here from the morning to the evening trying to deal with all of these people. This is too much. What you should do is choose you men. Some over hundreds, some over fifties, some over tens, And then let the people bring the weightier matters to you. And I'm going, wow, that's delegation. That's delegation. And then I learned something about the whole concept of team strategy. Here's the Lord that comes to earth and he chooses 12 disciples. Now notice those disciples don't become apostles until after Christ goes back to heaven. Because while he's on earth, he's teaching and he's training and he's developing. So they are learners or followers. When he goes back to heaven to become apostles, one sent with the sovereign authority to bind and loose for another. So I see this team even before the choosing of the 12, when Christ initially came, he chose 70 men. And he sent those men out with the message by teams. So bells are ringing in my head and I'm seeing not only delegation in the scriptures, but I'm also seeing the notion of team. And then in the context of delegation and the notion of teams, you learn the beauty of empowering other people so that they can use their abilities, their gifts, their talent in order to serve to the betterment of the church and the betterment of mankind. So I started paying attention to men who seemed to have hunger and thirst for knowledge and development, men and women who not only were willing to learn, but were anxious to use their giftedness to the benefit of ministry. And then I would develop, I would develop ministries for training. And in that training, I always exhorted them to be driven by excellence. But things like how to engage in a teamwork concept. Listen, Moses, I don't have to be the smartest guy at the table. Some ministers want to be the smartest guy. No matter who's at the table, they got to be smarter. than I'm not interested in being the smartest guy. I'm interested in being at the table with smart people and let those people use their giftedness. Now, that journey of training, development, I go back to my premise earlier this boots on ground. Notice the Lord trained those men while he was on earth, as he traveled, as he taught, as he preached. They weren't in a classroom. This was boots on ground, scrape your knees on the sidewalk, if you will, training. And so, The individuals, uh, particularly those who are desirous to be preachers, they watch me. They observe me. I have constant conversations with them that I call leadership lessons. Did you see what happened? Did you pay attention to how I handled it? Do you see the variables here? How a thing can go this way or it can go that way? And they're taking mental notes. And so it really is a boots on ground, learn as you go. I can train you in hermeneutics and homiletics and biblical interpretation and how to outline a sermon and and public oration and all of that kind of stuff, but none of that, what are you going to do when you come down out of the pulpit? What are you going to do then? So yeah, that's where I gained the the notion of, and out of that, Brother Moses, also comes the notion of mentorship, mentoring individuals, which means I got to be willing to give up my time and my talent, and if necessary, my money. I met with two young men, they're fine young men. They're in their 30-something kind of age group. One one gentleman just graduated with a doctorate in education from Pepperdine University in Malibu, California. He's a member now where I'm privileged to serve. And so he and another younger brother, I pulled them together and I said, listen, I want to mentor you in how to teach in the context of the church. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to spend my money. I'm going to buy you fundamental study tools, Strong's Concordance, a Thayer's Lexicon, I'm going to buy you basic books. Then we're gonna sit down and I'm gonna show you how to use those books. Then you're gonna go into your private study. You're gonna use that. I'll teach you how to put together an outline and we're gonna start the process of understanding how to teach. Delegation, the notion of team, and the notion of mentorship all wrapped together.
0: So it's, it seems like your your ministries have other ministries within them. There is this reciprocity between both of the elements, you as leader and the, them as student. And over time, as you said, the student then will become the leader and then it trickles down from there. That's incredible in terms of that setup that you have.
1: Absolutely. And it's fascinating to me because I don't know what the Almighty is going to do through them. I hope they all do better than I've ever been able to do. But I can deposit in them the little bit I have. And I'm sure someone else will come along and deposit into them. I've had several mentors at different seasons in my life. And I'd like to think I have a takeaway from all of those different mentors. And a little bit of all of them goes into what makes Shabazz. Now, I never wanted to be them. I have a a chapter in my book that's called Big Shoes, Little Feet. And the whole notion of the big shoes and little feet, whether you're in business or you, if you're in in the context of church ministry, a lot of times you're intimidated when you come behind an icon, someone who is a noted, successful person in whatever, whatever that is. And sometimes the first inclination is, how can I do just like them? I don't wanna do just like them. I don't wanna take my little feet and try to put it in their big shoes. I'm gonna bring my own shoe and I'm gonna do me. They did them. I'm going to do me, and I don't think it's right for you to rob the world of the gift that God put in Moses. You don't need to be like some other podcast or some other podcast host. You want to use the giftedness, the talent, the ability, the insightfulness that the Almighty put in you. And if you spend your time trying to be someone else, then you rob the world of what God can do through you.
0: Yeah, you are the only person that'll ever have the experience of being you in what? infinity. And so it's being able to, I think it's mostly being comfortable with being yourself and understanding that your life is singular. And that in that singularity, you understand that who you are is, first off, child of God, and that you are in this experience to experience it not just for yourself, but to also be a light to others, then you're able to really grasp that and understand that everything you are going through is for a reason. And that reason is good.
1: Absolutely. Believe me when I tell you, and you've already said it, no one can beat you being you, True. but going one step further, there's something very unique deposited in you because I assure you when God made you, he broke the mold. There, there's no other identity, no person that's identical to you. A- and so you want to use what's been deposited in you as a gift. This is just my, my, my approach. The no- let me say to you that ministry, by definition, is people serving people. That's essentially what it is. It's not about titles. There are too many titles in the religious world. People are interested in titles, but they have no towels. They're not laborers, they're not workers. Ministry is fundamentally people serving people. So the concept of ministry crosses all lines. Moses, I look at what you do as a ministry. You're out here serving people by bringing illumination to their mind about different topics, different subjects, different genres, different schools of thought. So you're out here as a person doing as best you can to serve other people. So in the context of your people serving people, there needs to be the implementation of protocols and etiquettes. Protocols are what we do, and etiquettes is how we get them done. And your protocols and etiquettes are driven by I'm gonna do this with excellence. When I'm finished, people will see that I've gone the extra mile, that I have put more than average into this. So regardless of what genre of life you apply that principle to, it's about people serving people, and get away from the mindset of I'll just do enough to get by. I'm gonna do it uniquely. I'm gonna do it in an extraordinary way. People will see it's outstanding. I'm gonna have a set of protocols that I follow and a number of etiquettes that demonstrates how I carry out those protocols. And the byword is I'm gonna do it with excellence.
0: Yeah. And so I I really like that, that that really puts together everything in terms of understanding that if you are like, it doesn't matter again, what you said, doesn't matter what you do, as long as you are a person helping another person, that is ministry. And it just supersedes every other sort of title, position, placement. It doesn't really matter in terms of what that is. But if it is a person genuinely helping another person, then that is ministry. And so everyone must be excellent in that ministry is your, that's your, your paradigm.
1: Absolutely. And then the grand finale of it all is to be cognizant of where the notion of ministry comes from, where the notion of excellence comes from. It all reverts back to the creator of the, the, the heavens and, and, and the earth, the, the creator of this world and all that we, we see. So when you engage that, you are making an attempt to imitate the creator. It's not that you're trying to be God or be a God, but his character and his, his moral fiber, his drive to give the best is the very thing that, and that's why I say I call this a movement. I'm asking the whole world, no matter what you do, no matter what your head is into, as long as it's legal, as long as it's, it, it is right doing, that you go after it with excellence. I go out sometimes, I'm so frustrated with social media right now. I really am. I'm so frustrated with it. I'm an old school guy. I was forced into familiarizing myself with social media. I'm one of those guys pre pandemic often members of my leadership team will come to me, doc, we need to go Facebook live. I'm going absolutely not. Absolutely not. I'm not going Facebook live. I really don't care about all of that. What I care about are the people who are right here. That's my focus. And that, well, the message wants that you travel all over the country every year. People, people are interested in hearing you and I'm going, I'm not doing Facebook. I'm not doing Facebook. I don't want that distraction. And they kept coming back. Well, the pandemic hit. I didn't have any choice but to go Facebook because the doors of churches for the first time in my lifetime were closed. So so I'm then trying to get the message out. In, in that, But I just have great disdain because it lacks excellence. I don't understand how a technologically advanced society can permit a culture and an environment where you can go on to Facebook and somebody's selling something that's really not for sale. Or people who say outlandish things, I am so tired of seeing these reports about A-list actors and stars and entertainers who are allegedly dead. And they're not dead. They're still alive and kicking. But in this technologically advanced, we will we, we, we'll permit that to happen. And then you got to invest a lot of time and energy to be able to ascertain the fact, no, that's not true. Charlie Wilson really did not die. He really is alive and, and, and going well and, and that kind of thing. What has happened to the notion of excellence? There was a time when the FCC and, and other entities were much more on their A-game. We we just, and then people will say anything on, on Facebook. No filter, no no standards. Just was like every man does that which is right in his own eyes. A tremendous lack of excellence. Even in terms of ministers and, and, and church servants, I see some of them out there and I'm going, are you kidding me right now? you got to be kidding me. Where's your standard of excellence? There's some things I would never say. There's some things I would never advance for the good of others. And I call that an attempt to navigate excellence because it's not, we can't eradicate orthodoxy. We can't eradicate the notion of healthy, standards. And I know we can debate healthy standards all day long, but are there any at all?
0: Yeah, it really does make you question a lot of the things, whether or not people have an idea of like what is right, what is wrong. But again, I think it goes back to your notion of its protocols and etiquettes in terms of protocols. People, whenever they go on social media, for the most part, it's for the people that create like every single day and post every single day for to help them with their with their business or, or with this whatever they're doing, usually that is the protocol. They have a system of, of posting and they have different formats and different formulas that they use. But for the most part, most people don't have protocols whenever they go on social media. And so if they don't know what to do or what to say, whatever they're thinking in the moment, they're going to post that on there. And as you said, like it can be some of the most outlandish stuff.
1: Oh, my. And you know what? Let me flip this narrative and say I am cognizant of the fact that in one context, I can't really do as much as I could do without social media. My landing page, where you can go and order the book and learn about where I'm going to be speaking and so forth, that's out there on social media. An update from time to time in terms of what cities I'm in and, you know, what I've done. And that every week there are services that are posted. And, and, but Man, I try as much as possible to retain very distinguishable, very noticeable protocols and etiquettes that are more driven by by excellence. For instance, I'm looking at a guy, hypothetically, of course, we wouldn't dare call any names. He's been on, he's had his church on social media for almost four years. Every week he gets ready to record, he turns on the machine, he's scratching his head, He's doing all these distractive things. Buddy, you don't know that you're alive right now. <laughs> what are you engaging in all the... Where is the excellence in this? I'm set, ready to go. I'm concerned about how I present. To me, this relegates to being motivated by excellence.
0: Yeah, and if you're not motivated by it, then it doesn't come across. It doesn't... You you can't see... Because like a lot of things people see and like all of the things that make a person like stand out and make them the way that they perform in such a it's a unique and like a grand way it's all because of the behind the scenes stuff that they do it's all the preparation it's all the practice that they do in private that whenever they show up they're able to show up in a way that they come across and they're able to get their ideas across much more, more smoother more more eloquently and so whenever they do that what happens is that you're able to get a grander performance out of it and also for the person that is going out there like on stage speaking whatever it's better for you to go ahead and practice in private because you don't know at any time you can be called up on stage like whenever i'm growing up in church my mother she's in ministry she's a pastor and as a kid uh, we are me and my siblings were like musically trained and so, like, literally, like, someone can, can can come through the door and they're in music and it's like, oh, like, Moses, like, come over here, let's sing a song. And so I gotta be like, okay, like, da, da da And so you're able to, once you, like, go through all of the exercises and the vocal warm-ups and the music, all that kind of stuff. But whenever you are able to perform, you're able to perform effortlessly and it comes across as effortless. And people say, oh, I can do that. Then they try and then they waffle. But (laughs) yeah. And so it's all of that practice that you do in the background that really shines through whenever you are performing. And so a lot of people just don't like, like like, like the gentleman you said, who scratches his head before the service. He he must not be practiced enough to know, like whenever it's live, you got to make sure you're on the P's and Q's.
1: And I'm going, don't you watch your own videos? You may do that once or twice, but you ought to be cognizant of the fact that's how you're coming across and you want to go to, but you know what, Moses, I've been preaching for well over 42 years. I have never preached a lesson that I'm satisfied with. I have never taught and I've done revivals. I've done conferences, lectureships, workshops, every Sunday morning preaching. I always want to do better. I always want to do better. I always hear something, see something that I could have done differently, could have done better. And the next time I come back, I want to do that. I, I would like to think, and I hope you don't accept this in the spirit of boasting because I have absolutely nothing to boast to brag about.
0: Anna, go ahead.
1: I, I'd like to think if I have any gift that I could identify is the gift of taking very complex theological concepts and breaking it down so even Big Mama can understand. The most complex of theological concepts, I'd like to think that my gift of teaching is i have the ability to take it and break it down so all levels of the audience i'm not interested in standing before people and talking above their heads i want them to get it because my mission is to impart knowledge and i can't impart knowledge if you're not getting it so i'm working at that and working at that and working at that and it's a lifelong journey because i want to do it with excellence.
0: yeah and and i really like that you as a minister really like focus on that aspect of it in terms of being able to minister and preach in such a way that people get it instead of like you yourself being the showman kind of thing and and again like for the 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 bible it was written koine greek and that was the language of the people at that time and so if you can be able to understand and that's why uh, my professor who taught me chronic Greek, he said "Like this is the perfect language for the Bible to be taught in, to be written in because it's, yeah, it's it's by the people for the people. And so it's getting understanding of the word and realization that I'd say a majority of ministers who are seeking stardom, seeking fame, one of the key skills that they lack is that they don't realize that they are the mouthpiece right then yeah they're not the music behind it they're not all the notes they're not the flourishes they're not the ad-libs the, the verse they are simply they're they're an instrument
1: yes right? yes
0: you and know so what yeah.
1: you raise a very dynamic point and the point you raise just accentuates the excellence paradigm i keep referring to the fact that the creator is the point essential example of, of excellence now watch this something you just said the Old Testament is written primarily in in Chaldean Hebrew, parts of it written in Aramaic. New Testament written in classical Koine Greek. But it's interesting that all three of those languages are now what's considered dead language. They are dead languages from this consideration. At some point in their respective cultures, people stopped speaking it, they stopped writing it, so it became a dead language. And here's the magic, if you will, in it that means the words, meanings never change. It can't because the language is dead. Exactly. Unlike the United, so I can look back a thousand years at the, the classical Kone Greek, and I can look at those words in the Greek text or in a Greek lexicon, and I can know, not from a Western civilization definition, but from an Eastern civilization definition, what that meant at the time the inspired writer gave it. If I go back into the Old Testament, I can look at the Chaldean Hebrew, I can look at the Aramaic. And nowadays you don't even have to speak those languages. All you got to be able to do is count numbers because most of these thayers and vines and strongs are number coded. So if you can look up number 235, then you can find out, you don't have to be able to speak the language, read it. You can find out the original. This is excellence, Moses. It's excellence. What round eyed slope show two legged put his pants on one leg at a time? Man could have ever come up with that concept. Then I'm going to use dead languages so that the words and the meaning of the words are never change and people will always be able to know what I was talking about.
0: Yeah, exactly. But there are like some words, of course, in any language, have like a dual meaning. Like there's one word that means it's one word, lambano, I, I take or I receive. And so in the context, yeah. it changes what it, what the text is saying. Uh, And then again, that's where you can see this kind of power shift in in terms of some people who know exactly what the word means in context versus whenever you're just reading it straight from the Bible. And uh, depending on translation that you're using, the word maybe doesn't fit, but it fits the need that the, the user wants it to fit, if that makes any sense. The author sees this word and knows exactly what this word means in its context, but then decides to flip it and then put it in there in order for the author to serve their own agenda.
1: And you know what? The more we talk about this, the deeper we dig into our premise. Yeah. and I've taught this for decades and decades. Context is everything. And it, it amuses me why Americans try to pretend like they don't understand the importance of context particularly in our culture, regardless of what you say, if I don't really pay attention to what you're saying and understand the context in which you're using those words, then I'll go away with something outlandish and say, well, Moses said thus and so. You go, well, how did you get that out of what I said? Because you took it out of context. So, for instance, this is the value of, of context and the whole notion of dead language, which goes back to the premise of excellence. For instance, the English word love, very ambiguous in the English language. In the classical Kone Greek, there are a number of words that are translated. There's phileo, which is the word from which we get the word brotherly love or Philadelphia. Uh, There is agapio, which is a love that looks to the best, to the interests of another. There is eros, which is erotic or sensual love. And as you look at the original text and look at those words in their context, you began to learn what the inspired writer origin man excellence. Yeah. It all relates to excellence,
0: absolutely. And I remember there was a speech that that Reverend Doctor Martin Luther King gave on it's like your life's blueprint, and it's one of the speeches that I listen to annually, like on MLK Day. I and know. he talks about it's like having a commitment to excellence. It is like belief in your own personal dignity and worth, looking for doors of opportunities, as well as making sure that you are always learning and you're working hard as long and also finding ways you can, can contribute to your own personal mission. And so it seems like in terms of all the things you've you put together in your book and also uh, what you're talking about today, it seems like it's like two sides of the same coin There might even be like the same side it is you need to make sure that you are doing both Every i said this in the, the last podcast that i did that was the saint augustine quote workers praise if everything depends on god work as if everything depends on you and yeah. so it's that thing of understanding that you can do this thing but without the like without the stamp of approval from God, it's not going to bear much food. But if you do it with God in mind and you're keeping God first and you're doing it as well, then you're able to see a much greater result of that than if you were to simply do the work.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. After all, we're just vessels. Yeah. The word preacher comes from the Greek word kourouks, which means he's an herald. I am a spokesman for the king and I bring the King's message. And if I let me, if I allow myself to get outside of myself, then it no longer becomes about the King. It becomes about me. And that's really stepping far away from the notion of of excellence.
0: Yeah, a brief thing I wanna touch on too, I think that the listeners might really get a lot out of is how do you as a minister remove your ego from the equation yourself? how do you take that little bit of you who says that like, Oh, like people congratulate you or applaud you about saying this wonderful inspired message, but how do you then in the moment or even after redirect it and make sure that people realize that this actually belonged to God and not to me? Uh, What are some things that, that you yourself do or, have you heard about uh, other ministers doing to keep themselves in check in terms of not confusing the messenger with the message?
1: No, I sincerely believe that this stems from a spiritually healthy framework of thinking. And my framework of thinking is simply this. There is no room for ego in ministry. Ego and ministry don't go together. And so humility is what you really want to? What you really want to practice? That's really what you you want to stay humble. Listen, do you think for one moment that I'm not aware of the fact that God made me? God can take me out, make another one to look just like me, and the world will never knew I know I was here. God doesn't have; he does not have to have me. It's my blessing, and it's an honor. And so, I really do think it relegates to a framework of thinking. I think that maniacal. Egotistical, self-centered, me, myself, and I people have never put a healthy paradigm in in place. And maybe your motives—and I'm careful about charging people with motives—but uh, maybe your motive needs to be examined. Ministry, preaching, teaching, mentoring, developing is about more than a thousand-dollar suit, alligator shoes, cufflinks driving a Mercedes, getting a custom parking space. Ministry has nothing to do with any of that. It has to do with what I can do to lead people into the paths of righteousness, into the paths of, of understanding the God paradigms.
0: I really like that in terms of both having understanding, again, like give the mouthpiece, but also knowing that if... It is important to you in order to be to be acclaimed. Then maybe ministry. I wouldn't say ministry isn't for you, but maybe the type of ministry that you wish to pursue to give you that 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 sort of hit that you're looking for that isn't for you.
1: I had a mentor, my first mentor, as a matter of fact, he passed away back in well many years ago, probably about 1998 or so. But he often said to me, Shabazz, whatever the Almighty gives you. You take it and work with it and make that shine best you can. Anything else he wants you to have, you'll get it. You'll get it. I don't have to go out there to make it happen. People have asked me this question all over the country for a number of years. Shabazz, how did you become a national evangelist? I don't know. <laughs> I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you. I, 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 feel, I feel privileged that These many churches until this day call me. Can you come and speak? Can you do a revival? Can you do a conference? Can you do this? I'm humble because I got enough sense to know that there are many other people to call besides me. Other than to say that is just the blessings of the Lord and I have to keep my attitude right. The Lord bless me. I often pondered over this question. Why is it that God bless some men with gifts, but other men's gifts he blesses? I don't know if I had an answer that question other than to say if God has gifted you and blessed your gifts, you ought to give him the glory. And the more you realize that, the more humble you ought to be and remember who you are and what you're doing. Again, ministry is about people serving people. It's not about your ego or all those kinds of things. There is no place for ego in ministry. If you got an inflated head, you might want to sell Amway or car insurance or something. I don't know that you want to do this.
0: I'm curious, what is humility to you? What, how do you define humility?
1: Humility is a lowliness in, in, in a state of mind. And when I say lowliness, I'm not talking about weakness. I'm talking about one's personal evaluation. You don't overinflate your value. And this is how I think what happens to some people. For instance, I never let myself think, if I don't do it, it can't be done right. I have to be the one to do I have to be involved, or it's not gonna be what it could be. In, in In a lowliness state of mind, and I call that humility, I keep myself in check, again, knowing that if I fall victim to ego, or inflated ego, that it's gonna turn into something other than this being about ministry, something other than being about God Almighty. So to me, humility, is a lowliness in mind it's it's in a lowliness in attitude in self-evaluation. you don't let that get away from
0: it. yeah, and it seems like you really I, I like that too in terms of thinking yourself as lowly, but also it's I guess you we could also do is if you do find yourself going off and thinking that you're some big and high time guy, uh, you could just like pick apart. Like put yourself apart and like see, okay, so like you are, like you're, you're this person. You're like in in this state. You live in like this kind of house, but like like you have this bill coming up. You missed the deadline for this. You got the other <laughs> thing going on over here, and so it's. I think it's really difficult for, for like most people to really understand to just like take that like the full of ego and then just like deflate that ego balloon. But they need to like really aggressively, I think, like like take some stabs at it and in order to deflate that thing, because if you do it that way, mm-hmm. then I guess you feel lowly, but you feel as if there is something you can do to make yourself better if yeah. that makes any sense. And so you can definitely, everyone can improve in some certain part of their lives. and so they can do it in such a way that If they get too big of a head, they can deflate themselves and then they can realize like, oh, wait, I can actually fix this thing over here. I can actually make sure that this thing gets in on time. I can send this email over here. And so whenever you do those little tasks, whenever you find the things in your life that can be better and you go after them, then you can intentionally make sure that you are bringing yourself down to earth and realizing, I am a human being. I live in this vast galaxy. There's like nothing, like, I, as you said, like, God made me. You can take me right out. And with <laughs> another one. <laughs> like, there's nothing that's you're right. unique, but you're not that unique. You're not like that God's unique. But we are just like semi-unique, if that makes any sense. You're
1: not, you're not irreplaceable. And, and, and I think the essential thing is balance. And I think that's really what we're gravitating towards. Yeah, You don't want to go to the other extreme where you degrade yourself
0: true true that and, and you're right in terms of what I was talking about earlier that definitely could happen to yourself you're right yeah
1: you want balance but if i had my choice i'd rather think less of myself than to think too much i really would <laughs> i don't think that i don't think that, i don't think that first one's going to work real real well for you because somewhere along the line somebody's going to make it their mission to deflate you so i just want to stay balanced another thing this same mentor used to say to me it's interesting today some of these things are coming back to my mind He used to say, I'd like to stay low and when opportunity is presented, I'll rise to the occasion. So it's not like he didn't have the ability or the talent, but he didn't have to walk around flaunting it. But given the door of opportunity, oh, he's gonna rise to the occasion and he's gonna get the job done with excellence. But you don't have to walk around waving a banner about who you are and how competent and capable, how magnificent you are.
0: Yeah. So just wait and in time, whenever your time comes, definitely then make sure you speak out and that you're heard. Well, Dr. Shabazz, uh, I want to thank you for being on the show today. And I have another question to ask you. And that is, if you had the ability to send a worldwide text, what would your message be?
1: Excellence.
0: Excellence. One word, excellence.
1: Excellence, man. That's what it's all about. And the more you think about it, the more it ingrains. Yeah. Yep. Excellence. People see this podcast, they need to see excellence. And Your servitude. You're doing it with excellence. One word. Excellence.
0: Excellence. Perfect. Well, Dr. Shabazz, where can people go to learn more about you and pick up the book?
1: Yes, sir. Well, I do have a landing page. It is excellenceinministry.org. And by the way, I learned that my landing page is down and my team is working on whatever the problem is right now to get it back up. You can go to excellenceinministry.org and my bio is there. You can, you can purchase the book. The book is still available on amazon.com uh, or barnesandnoble.com. You can get the book, Excellence in Ministry, A Guide to Protocol and Etiquette for Church Leaders. The church's website, the church harlem.com. My full bio is there. People ask me this all the time. I go in to speak somewhere and they go, well, people need to know about you, Shabazz. What do you want me to say? I'm going, as little as possible. As little as possible, man, at the end of the day, nobody cares where you went to school, where you got your degrees from, and how many places you preached. If, if you've got anything to say, they're about to find out. They're about to find out if you just get it. But to answer your question, the most ideal and central place would be excellenceinministry.org. In uh, I also, Excellence in Ministry, I'm on Facebook as well. And uh, yeah, those are probably the two or three essential places we can find.
0: Perfect. Well, thank you very much, Dr. Tobias. It's been a pleasure.
1: It's been my pleasure. Moses, you're a great guy, man. You have a very entreating and mild spirit. But thank you for extending me this opportunity. I thank Angela and Dr. Macon and, and Stroud and Dr. Jennings and all who've been affiliated with leading you and I paths to cross and we say blessings and salutations to you.
0: thank you thank you for listening to this episode of black gold podcast stories of black dreamers and doers please go ahead and subscribe and review the show on itunes spotify or wherever you're listening to the podcast right now so then it can reach more people if you want to get in touch with me personally go ahead and send me an email at blackgoldpod at gmail.com. If you want to talk about the show or if you want to talk about how to create your own podcast, where you can find people and talk with them about the topic of your interest. If you want to go further into doing that, make sure to go to www.blackgoldpod.com and go ahead and scroll all the way down to the bottom and get yourself a copy of the Side Gig Podcast Guide. It's a guide that I put together for you to start a quality podcast on a low budget. So go ahead and do those things, and I'll catch you in the next episode. Thanks for listening.